the unsurpassed and perfect, perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. It's really nice to see you all. Thanks for coming. As many of you may know, our training term started at the beginning of this month of February, and it is joy to have two new postulants sitting on the Gaitan and being an integral part of our community. We've also had a, well, very little snow to speak of, a few turbulence here and there. We've um, had an introductory retreat, transfer merit ceremony. We've done uh, the two-day Great Renewal of Owls, where Master Mayon kindly read um, the Fundamentals of Practice, the Ten Great Precepts, and the 48 Lesser Great Precepts. We've had an Avalokiteshvara ceremony. We had a three-day silent retreat. And last night, the community read together the reading of the scripture of the Buddha's last teaching. And then Thursday, we begin a continuing practice retreat, both in person and online. So it's been a great month, and it's uh, really fortunate that we get to train together through the ebbs and flows of the causes and conditions. So it's, it's interesting to see how a training term, uh, we, what our focus is, and then when summer comes along, uh, even though working meditation is involved in the training term, it's, you know, it shifts slightly. So it's, it's, it's just really a joy to have the training term in full gear, and I'm really grateful. And today, we just celebrated the festival of the Buddhist Parinirvana. It's as, it is if we have been transported to Krishnagar for our pilgrimage to bow deeply to and circumnavigate the Parinirvana Stupa, to pay our respects to the reclining Buddha. <clears throat> as we begin, please know that all of nature, all its processes, adaptations, interactions, over time and space are integral to our talk today, as well as wisdom and compassion of Great Master Dogen, Great Masters Jiu, Daishin, Hubert, Venable Chengchi, and Minga Rinpoche. Rinpoche. They've all had a heavily contribution to our journey today in the Dharma talk. So at the beginning of the festival of the Buddhist Parinirvana, we are encouraged to quickly seek our liberation, be a lamp unto ourselves, always seek to get back on the path. <clears throat> the same teaching returns to us at the ending point of the festival. Quickly seek your liberation, be a lamp unto yourself, always seek to get back on the path. <clears throat> the festival of the Buddha's Parinirvana forms a cycle returning to the beginning point. Venerable Changchi said, therefore it can be said that every point is a starting point, the place where we both depart from and return to. And we still need to set a good starting and ending point. This is because it involves the height and direction of our lives. The starting point is in this mundane world, and the ending point is in the pure land. 
However, please note that the Pure Land is not far away. It's still in the original point in the human world. And that is what, make, was that, and that is what we call completeness. <clears throat> Therefore, from the starting point to the end point, it is the great path of turning from evil to good, from delusion to awakening, from the ordinary to the holy. It is also the path of transforming from selfishness to benefiting oneself and others, the path of a bodhisattva. In this way, our departure and return will follow a general path without major deviations. So it can be said that every point is a starting point, the place where we both depart from and return to. Even though they are all starting points, there is still a distance between them. With distance, there is a process. With a process, there are insights and realizations. And there will be learning and letting go, especially with different states of mind. The perspective will also be different. The Buddha said, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term welfare and happiness. It is apparent I have been and continue to be actively included within this process of departing and returning. Back to the starting place, the same yet different. And within me, this sparks and ignites and then cools down the processes, which I'm very grateful for. So this is an aha moment. The awareness comes on and and it lights the way. The penetration of the Shobagenzo and the Vimlakirti Sutra blend in and out, weaving their support, which appears, then disappears. Our lives are just series of moments. When inspecting one moment, it is gone before we can see it or inspect it. The moment naturally unfolds and it is influenced by the previous one. The next thought completes the previous thought, which was influenced by the previous thought. More contrast of object and subject builds continuously when thought after the previous thought is followed by another thought. So we're encouraged to focus and set our intention to cut the connection between subject and object, which will enable us to see clearly the origins and disappearance of different thoughts. To follow the intention, we must cultivate compassion while recognizing the beneficence of all things that are always helping us, enabling us, without discrimination of who needs help, who does not need help, no matter how near or how far. Now, as I really take this to heart, harmony will practice. Harmony will follow in my practice. It will manifest. Benevolence is a cornerstone of my practice. Everything in nature, including humans, are at all times helping all things. And generally, we are unaware of this fact. Master G, you said, Benevolence is recognizing something that everything else is doing and then going along with it. It is a two-way thing. It's very beautiful. And the feedback we get is joy. So let me read that again. Benevolence is recognizing something that everything else is doing and then going along with it. 
We perceive others as real. It seems we're unable to perceive the illusion. This is a challenge for all of us. We need to wake up from the dream so we can understand greed, hate, and delusion are flows of causes and conditions. The Buddha's last teaching states, Shakyamuni Buddha laid among the four twin solid trees about to enter Parinirvana. At midnight, when all was calm and not a sound heard, he gave a summary explanation of essentials of the Dharma to his disciples. The Buddha said, O you monks, after I have entered into eternal meditation, you should deeply honor, esteem, and revere as precious the ten great precepts and the forty-eight less grave precepts. Just as darkness encounters brightness, or a destitute person receives a treasure, so you should recognize these as your great teacher. We are encouraged to take the time to stop and listen. What does this mean? Just as darkness encounters brightness, or a destitute person receives a treasure, what is this telling us? You may have noticed Rev. Master Man making three clockwise circles with the lit candle snuffer at the main altar during the ceremony. This signifies that there is no difference between darkness and light in the truth. We give thanks to the light of Buddha, which guides and protects the temple, the temple at all times. The festival of the Buddha's Parinirvana is about the Buddha entering into eternal meditation. The physical body of an extraordinary human being dies. And as we all know, the Buddha is alive within each of us in all things this very day. So here's another opportunity for us to explore and experience the the richness of movement and non-movement, where the starting point is where we depart from and return to. It may not be linear. Perhaps it's exponentially logarithmic. But regardless, this benefits our perspective. During today's festival, we begin in the light of the Buddha Hall. And as the ceremony progresses, we enter darkness, with the exception of one candle in the Founder's Shrine, which represents the continuity of light of Buddha, the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditional. There is a dedication and a wish that the light of the Buddha shall increase in brilliance, both in darkness and in light, and the wish to the Buddha to be seen and to return to the world of men. Within the light and within the dark, it is essential we keep in permanence in the forefront of our minds. Causes and conditions differ, so teachings at times may appear contradictory, but this is not so. What really is happening is the change in the causes of the in the chains and excuse me in the change and causes and conditions themselves. So where do we set a good point for both starting and ending? For me is to deeply honor, esteem, and revere the three pure precepts. 
this is the point. Cease from evil, do no harm, do good for others, purify your mind. We need to continue to renounce a certain outcome arising from our own needs. Consequently, we will see no expectations. We are encouraged to respond to what is actually happening. At times, we seem to confuse our particular view with reality rather than recognize that our views are provisional and impermanent. To paraphrase the Buddha, fear the cause, not the result. Expend your energy on planting good roots. It is rare and a wondrous thing to be in the way of the Buddhas. It is important to be even-minded with a bright heart as you practice the Buddha Dharma. According to causes and conditions, ability and capacity differ. Some roots are dull. Others are sharp and good. We have to continue to work hard at cleansing our karmic obstructions and deepen our connection to the Dharma. I found some advice from Sean Master Shen Yin incredibly beneficial, and I'd like to share it with you. He says, it is true that people have different karmic roots. If you practice or study the Buddha Dharma, even if you think you practice poorly, you should be happy. It is rare that one encounters, accepts, and practices the Buddha Dharma. It means that you have a deep karmic connection with the Dharma. However, having a deep karmic connection with the Dharma is not the same as having dull or sharp karmic roots. People who encounter the Dharma Dharma may have equivalent karmic affinity with the Dharma, but some may have sharp roots and others dull roots. Those with sharp roots can cut through vexations quicker than those with dull roots. When we notice impermanence, we will notice we die over and over again throughout the days and the nights. We often express the wish to let go of disturbing emotions, and from my experience, I lack the confidence to do so after decades of repetitions of attempting to transcend my most tenacious, indefagable, and trans-problematic tendencies. (laughs) They were my good friends. So I just kept after it. And once I embraced the role of rebirth in my practice and let things take their natural course, more opportunities for me to abide in the recognition of awareness occurred. Unbounded space emerged. This is added support as we embrace acceptance as our protection. The biggest challenge to accepting The consistency of death and rebirth lies within our resistance to impermanence and our hopeless attempt to hold in place what inherently changes. The good news is letting go is itself a way of experiencing change, death, and rebirth. Letting go always benefits us and others. We all have the capacity to start with our everyday activities. And generally, we don't even define that as a problem. So what I'm saying here is we can bring our awareness to this very present moment, and we don't have to start with the rascally, you know, ones that are just, you know, really disturbing that's gone on for decades. We can just do what's the first thing that comes to us in our daily practice and uh, see what arises and see how we can train with it. 
The only way to learn the Buddhist teaching, I have found for myself anyway, is to use them, to consistently live it wholeheartedly. The Buddha said to his disciples, Be as the honeybee, who, whilst gathering pollen from flower to flower, only takes the nectar and does not spoil or destroy the flower, the flower's color, its shape, or its scent. This teaching applies to our relationship with all things, including your relationship with yourself. Be mindful, be gentle, and offer loving kindness to all unstintingly. If you find yourself imposing a position or perspective on someone or something, you can be certain that you cannot see the whole picture. It's like standing near a rainbow. You simply cannot see the rainbow at all from that close of a location. For example, if I'm bounded up and resistant by being impatiently selfish, I need to make the effort to focus on on the vexations that brought about me being selfish and respond by being less selfish, more patient. I need to make a point of recognizing whatever side I am bound on, where in this case, impatience, and note that uh, the impatience and the impatience have a connection. They have a connecting function. They become the fusion line of each other, of the whole. I'm not sure that makes sense, but this is where, it's, this is where I'm at. I wrote this for myself, so I, I hope you get something out of this, you know? Um, so regardless of whether they enter different forms or merge with each other, the key is that the nature is empty. So by integrating the positive and the negative, the impatient with the patient, the black with the white, you can transcend both sides and embrace both sides at the same time. I'm not saying that I know how to do that, but the potential is there. I at least am able to see it. It is also the path of transforming from selfishness to benefiting oneself and others. The path of a bodhisattva. The Buddha told his disciples, govern it, and he was talking about his mind, our mind, in a single situation, there will not be any affair you will be unable to manage. To make yourself a better person is to make the world a better place. In order to move in the world, we must be able to stand still in it. No spiritual reality is separate from our daily life. In order to, to, to know anything a value about yourself, you need to travel deep within yourself. And as we all know, we live in the dualistic world of samsara. And this is not a problem. Everybody got that? This is not a problem that we're in samsara. We we may, however, create obstacles where one actually does not exist by clinging to the boundaries we create of the myriad opposites that we perceive. So I'm currently exploring this phase of there's, there is not one, and within the sentence of there is not one, there's always two. You know, so what does that mean? I'm not sure, but we have a lot of examples of cold and hot, dark and light, black and white, impatient and patience, good, bad. Do they go on forever? Maybe. To enter the state of non-duality is not to cling to either side, 
or even to the middle. This is essential. Upon my initial investigation, I find that it's helpful to kind of blur the boundaries, to focus on the range within the perceived opposites. For example, let's take a look at black and white. If you go to a hardware store and you pick up a gallon of white paint, when you go in to pick it up, you'll immediately see there are a wide range of colors that are supposedly white. You know, there's, there are six shades of white, and because of those six shades of white, you have over 300 different names for paints that are white. So this is the range that I'm talking about that we can apply to patients and inpatients. You can apply it to anger and love. I mean, it's, the idea is to see all the gradations that are in within the two and to not, it, it's a very fluid thing. You know, if you're looking for white, good luck. We only need to observe deeply that these obstacles that we see as obstacles that hinder us are, hinder, hinder us from entering non-duality. They don't actually exist. And when this insight occurs, we call this wisdom. We call it prajna. It may be brief, but that is what it's called. There are no sharp edges and there are no boundaries, no endings and no beginnings that distinguish between black and white, life and death. Everything is in flux. Everything is continually changing, emerging, transforming, coming forth and fading out. It's, it is a movement, it's dynamic, it's fluid, it's impermanent. It's a Buddha nature that has a bundle of ranges. I mean, it's boundless. And as a former monk once told me, understanding repentance in Buddhism is our acknowledging our freedom and our ability to move through and beyond our mistakes in an honest appraisal of our life. It shows ourselves that we are able and we are willing to change and are not bound by our actions that create suffering. In short, we can experience movements, experience movement. So this is where all these ranges can come in to help us to be able and to be willing to change. We just have to be, be you know, just a little more loose about our, where our boundaries are between the opposites. That's where I'm at anyway. And I would like to take this opportunity to express one other thing that's happened in February. And that is Venerable Master Daishin Yelan uh, celebrated his 50th year as a Buddhist monk. And I just wanted to express my gratitude and do a respectful bow to him. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your example, your kindness, your wisdom, and your patience. Thank you. And actually, this is, I could try to use Ramaster Dyson in this next example, but just, I couldn't quite make it fit. But what I can do, he is a ex- superb athlete, and this example is about runners who are superb athletes. So it, it does apply. You'll see how it can kind of fit in there. So um, we're going to take the example of runners competing for a gold in the Olympics. And there's one second that the fastest runner crosses the finish line and the result of years and years of practice and effort, the, the final achievement is that he gets, there's a, a gold medal. So the buildup of that one second in life uses a lifetime of one seconds. It is never that one second alone. 
This indicates all the efforts and struggles experienced that have been devoted to this one-second achievement. So we can see eternity in a glimpse, and within a glimpse we can see the effort that you have devoted to this achievement of your entire life. Also, this example points us to what the Buddha was saying to his disciples. He said, the teaching that to spiritually benefit yourself by training benefits others contains all. The teaching that the spiritual benefit, excuse me, the teaching that to spiritually benefit yourself by training benefits others, that contains all. There are no sharp edges, there's no boundaries, no endings, no beginnings. Everything is in flux. If our mind does not get stuck anywhere, we're attached to limited sets of identities, we create an internal atmosphere that can initiate and respond to movement, one which is adapted to recognizing wakefulness, the the deathlessness, you can call it awareness, the clarity, the clarity of the gap. There's all sorts of names for it. The, uh, The key here is to recognize it. This wakefulness is not dependent upon circumstances. It exists now. It does not increase or decrease with acts of kindness or cruelty. What we call the gap refers to the fleeting moment of naked awareness. And our task is to stay with the recognition of the awareness through the dying process of day and night with open stillness. Having practiced this awareness throughout our entire lives, at, a, excuse me, at the time of our actual physical death, we will be able to slip through the gap. So have confidence in the Buddha's teaching and know that acceptance is your protection. No longer be concerned with the concepts of living and dying. Rather, give everything you have to what's happening right now. To meet the demands of this moment without attachments or aversions, all the while befriending any adversity. Wisdom develops from your practice and is not contingent on any particular event. And I just learned uh, two words, amor, fati which means love life. So I think that paragraph sums that up, amor fate. So let us consider just one other thing here, and that is our life is a series of moments of action. Why do we say our life is momentary? Once we have done an act, we cannot return to the past to undo it. At the same time, we can never perform an act until its time comes to the present. So an act is always done just at the moment of the present, which is cut off from the moment immediately before and after it. We are not able to act in the past or in the future. This means our life is momentary, and the whole universe appears and disappears at every moment. This is from a commentary that I read on Chapter 88 of the Shobogenzo by a person named Gudo Nishiyama Roshi. Arising and vanishing moments exist, and we are barely aware of it. 
It is essential to trust the arising mind and realizing that the truth relies on instantaneous arising and vanishing of all things. Take it on faith. If things did not arise and vanishing instantaneously, previous moments of evil actions would not have passed. And if previous moments of evil actions have not yet passed, later moments of good action could not arise now. Only a Tathagata alone clearly knows the measure of this moment. So we trust the Tathagata's truth. The true meaning of the Buddha's teaching lies in the relationship with all living things. Your practice is based on the relationship between you and now. So everything moves on moment by moment. Give rise to the enlightened intention of helping others. Give rise to the enlightened mind. The swiftness with which this cycle of arising and vanishing rolls on every moment without the slightest pause seems to be beyond our comprehension of our ordinary mind. But pray do not forget this principle while experiencing this swiftness. Give rise to thoughts of helping others before you yourself have reached the other shore. In doing so, the life that is eternal will manifest before your very eyes. Awakening the enlightened mind is foremost. Preserve well, for you have now. Protect, defend, and guard the mind. And in closing, I'd like to read uh, from a book, uh, a couple chapters from a book called In Love with the World, A Monk's Journey Through the Bardos of Living and Dying. It's by um, Minger Rinpoche. I found this delightful book to be very beneficial beyond words. And if it seems good, I encourage you to check it out for yourself. So here's what he had to say. I had stayed aware of the turbulence in my mind, which remained at the surface. Deeper down, I feel alert, confident, and even content. I know that the turbulence is not the real problem. I still wish to be reborn as a carefree wandering yogi. If the point of meditation were to simply get rid of negative emotions, I would not be interested in practicing at all. I pray to stay connected to the timeless awareness that is the very essence of all turbulent emotions. I pray to allow feelings of discomfort and especially of embarrassment to self-liberate, to let the feelings be and to hold them within awareness. All that we are looking for in life, all the happiness, contentment, and peace of mind is right here in the present moment. Our very own awareness is itself fundamentally pure and good. The only problem is that we get so caught up in the ups and downs of life that we do not take the time to pause and notice what we already have. Do not forget to make the space in your life to recognize the richness of your basic nature, to see the purity of your being and let, it, let its innate qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom naturally emerge. Nurture this recognition as you would a small seedling. Let it, allow it to grow and flourish. Quickly seek your liberation. Be a lamp unto yourself. Always get back on the path.